Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yeah, in, in a manner of speaking, I'm uh, <clears throat> Lynn Cullen. Oi, <laughs> oi, the travails I've seen. You have no idea. So I just finally, finally managed to get back to Pittsburgh late, late last night after suffering another ordeal at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. My God. Now, granted, we all know lots of ugly weather around and a lot of this has to but my, the peop, you know the the mass of humanity that is there and so many flights canceled and delayed and it's amazing how they cancel a flight they you're often on the plane excuse me while I bent just a little bit more you're already on the plane and in fact have probably been sitting on the plane for well over an hour while they jerk you around with well, we haven't completed the catering, and uh, we're waiting for the uh, fuel, and uh, what are the other things they said? Um, there's always paperwork, and uh, air traffic control, and blah, 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 and this and that, and we'll be underway. In a m- the, the captain comes on like every 25 minutes, and he always ends these announcements with the same thing. Thank you for your patience. And the snorts that follow that remark. (laughs) They do that when they put you on hold on the phone too, right? We'll be with you in a moment. Thank you for your patience. Sometimes they do that. And you're thinking, I'm not patient! It's very strange. And the poor people traveling with young kids and babies and squalling. Man, wow, wow. So, yeah, I finally got back, dodging, pilot was dodging storms um, all the way. Got to Pittsburgh from Chicago by flying well south, <laughs> not normal, and then like sort of skittering back up uh, into southwestern Pennsylvania. It worked. It worked. I got to tell you, though, I am one um, still like sort of disoriented and exhausted human being and uh, I hope I can get this show together for you. Um, little Tony has informed me, and I thank you, that he just heard that, uh, God, Bob Mueller is going to be making a statement immediately after the show ends he thought well we'll wait until Lynn Cullen gets done and then at 11 o'clock I don't want to get in her way so at 11 o'clock apparently Mueller's making a statement and Tony says what I'm thinking he says I'm not getting my hopes up yeah he said I wish something would happen to give us a little hope (laughs) I know Ah, uh, yeah. Eh, I I'm not even going to get ahead of it. Who knows? He's either going to tell us he is uh, going to talk or he isn't going to talk. He's either going to talk in public or he's going to talk in private. Um, or he's um, announcing he's renun- you know he's announcing he's renouncing his citizenship and moving to Botswana. I don't know. A little bit. 
we'll just have to wait and uh, and see. Uh, if there's something I should be talking about, I I I I, I know there's some big relatively local or state-centric stories, including the Pennsylvania Supreme Court punting on uh, the issue uh, between Highmark, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and UPMC, uh, that going back down to the Commonwealth Court, which keeps, which keeps it alive, not dead, the possibility of, uh, of people holding Highmark insurance still perhaps, maybe, kind of, sort of, fingers crossed, being able to access the great care of that wonderful, wonderful charitable institution that we know as UPMC. Um, and is there other stuff? Probably. I can't think of any. Um, so while I was stuck on the airplane for so long, it was a funny thing. I was seated next to this lovely um, Indian woman who <laughs> I explained to her after we'd been sitting on the plane last night for about an hour and I was getting that deja vu thing going. I turned to her and I said, I got to tell you, I was exactly in the same place 24 hours ago and they canceled the flight. She said, I was on that flight too. So she and I were commiserating about the delights of travel. She travels for work, and uh, I can't imagine all you guys who do that having to um, deal with the airlines. They're, re they're just disgusting. Their customer service does not exist. You know, I'd, I have enough sense of my own uh, integrity and or dignity as a human being <laughs> that I really, really have trouble being herded. And, of course, flying is all about being herded and controlled. And that alone makes it so hard on me. I'm just stunned at the placidity of most people. And I guess they've got it right, I've got it wrong, because there's nothing you can do. If you want to fly and get where you want to go, then you've got to be a sheep. You've, you've got to follow orders and enter little pens and mazes and be ordered around and told to remove things and treated like a criminal <laughs> and rushed and shouted at. And then when they jerk everything out from under you, like canceling the plane, all they do is say, this flight has been canceled. You may, they don't say, I'm sorry. They don't say anything. They tell you to get the hell off and good luck. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry. I, here's my, my, I solemnly do swear that if there is a reasonable way to get to any destination I have to go to in the future, I will look into every means of transportation, including roller skates, before I even contemplate buying a ticket on an American airline. I have started driving distances that I never ever would before. Driving to Green Bay, Wisconsin, never would have considered it. Did that this year. 
I'm uh, going to be taking another like longer driving trip that normally I would have flown. I'm not going to. I, I mean, you've got to be a crazy person to subject yourself to that unless you have to. This poor mother trying, telling her sobbing daughter who clearly have been traveling all day, Honey, I'm sorry. We're going to stay in a hotel tonight. We're not going home, but I want to go home. The plane was broken. Somebody broke the plane, and we had... Oh, oh God. I identify with the the child. Totally. Totally. All right. The vicissitudes of uh, travel. So, sorry. um, While I was on uh, the plane, I I found myself reading the, uh, the, the New York Times... Sunday Magazine, which I'd uh, stolen from Susan, and where I normally don't take, I don't, I, I feel like I don't have the time or take the time to like read it from beginning to end. Man, I read it from beginning to end, and now you're going to be subjected to some of what I read. I first of all want to share with you something that maybe because my head is so sort of not in its optimum shape and sort of from lack of sleep and stress and all this stuff. I just don't think I'm thinking that clearly. Um, I tried to read this thing and literally could not follow it. And I am going to read it to you. And I just just see if you can follow. And if you can, pat yourselves on the back because I could not. This is a column or a a, a thing called uh, The Ethicist. ethicist. And people write in ethical questions, quandaries, And the ethicist responds. Uh, The first one was, to me, such an annoying question that I I wanted to uh, look up the uh, woman who wrote it. Actually, her name is there, and she lives in Cincinnati. And Jane, you're you're lucky I just fantasize about uh, getting in touch because... This is a woman who, and I wasn't even going to do this one, but just just listen to this question she wrote. Maybe you won't take offense, but I do. As a business owner, I sometimes take customers out to lunch. But as an ethical vegan, I didn't even know there was, I knew there were vegans, but this is as an ethical vegan. I do not want to subsidize the cruel meat and dairy industries. People seem to take my veganism as an affront. <laughs> but is there a way that I can, without losing customers, let them know that I just cannot underwrite killing animals? I mean... My head exploded when I wrote, read this because my response is, well, lady, then don't take your business uh, customers out to lunch, okay? Or take them to some vegan restaurant, okay? Or, uh, of course they take it as an affront if you say to them, I would love to take you out to lunch, but if you order a hamburger, you're going to have to pay for it. Because I find that, you know, I find your lifestyle to be cruel and uh, reproachful, right? Um, 
and yet she doesn't want to lose money. She's such an ethical vegan that she wants to... I just... Well, that's the frame of my mind. Anyway, I'm not even going to tell you what the answer was, although it shocked me. Uh, Secondarily, here's the one I want. The next one, after I lost it with the ethical vegan woman, who is ethical up to the point of losing business... um, There was this from Marlene in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Try to try to follow this. Try to follow this, okay? It's going to take a while. I thought she was making it up after a while, but go ahead. Here we go. I mean, go ahead, I'm telling myself. Listen to this. After I signed up with Ancestry.com, I discovered that I have a niece who was previously unknown to me. Extensive research established a few things. My oldest half-brother is very likely her father, the product of an affair between him and her mother. The evidence also suggests that my half-brother's father, my mother's first husband, isn't his biological father. My mother must have had an extramarital affair. My newly discovered niece is now middle-aged, and married with children of her own. She informed me that her mother married her childhood sweetheart after discovering that she was pregnant. They've been married for decades and have other children. My niece has decided not to tell her parents about my discovery. She is also ambivalent about reaching out to my half-brother, who, if I'm following this, is her biological father. Just recently, I learned that I have another relative through this half-brother. Apparently, my half-brother had another affair with a married woman when he was in his early 20s, and she became pregnant and kept the baby. It was a girl. This girl herself had a baby out of wedlock and put that baby up for adoption. I have since learned that this son of hers is married and has children. Through additional research, this woman's amazing, we have discovered the names of his grandmother, the woman my half-brother had the affair with. With his birth... What? Through additional research, we have discovered the names of his grandmother, woman my brother had the half with, and his birth mother, my half-brother's daughter. What? Okay, so did you get that? Here is my dilemma. Do I tell my half-brother, who is in his 80s and doesn't have children, that he is a father, that he does have children, that he is a father, a grandfather, and in fact a great-grandfather? This question is complicated by the fact that I have not spoken to him <laughs> Jesus. since the death of our mother. Some friends... This woman sounds like the most annoying human being in the world. I would like... This is the woman from hell. Some friends think I should remain silent as I would not only be telling him about these children but also that my father was not his biological father. You know, he adopted him. I do not believe that he was close to the man he thought was his biological father but learning that he is a result of his mother's extramarital affair could be very unsettling. Other friends think I should tell him so he would know there are several people alive today because of him. Yeah, they're alive today because he was screwing every married woman he could and impregnating them and walking away. If I share this information with him, what would be the best approach? 
incredibly, I, I think the ethicist replied to this that she should tell him. He's an 80-year-old man. He has a certain reality in his life. He, if he didn't care enough to get... I don't agree with any, any of these ethical ethicists. So we can so to hell with them. Anyway, I just have to tell you. That's, did you fo- do you have the kind of brain that can follow that? Well, my half-brother who's, related, you know, who's married to my aunt's uh, sister uh, you know, from another mother is a... I, I get... You know, having spent the weekend with my extended family and then reading about these other families, you think, oh, my, I thought my family was a tangled web. Jeez. I know this is happening a lot with people doing 23andMe and Ancestry.com. And, in fact, my ex-husband, who I spent time with over the weekend, introduced me to a friend who regaled me with a similar story of his own finding out about his antecedents, which, you know, the skeletons, man, the skeletons in the closet are coming out left, right, and center. And some, and I guess what the ethicist does say at the end um, is, there is nothing remotely unusual in having a family tree that on closer inspection turns out to be a twisted vine. So, and it reminds me of something that I know Susan and I were talking about yesterday, about memory and about narratives and about the stories that families tell themselves. And we take it, it's sort of like people who believe in the Bible, literally. We all have taken in these probably in, often mythologies. I mean, based in some truth, sort of like I probably think the Bible. The Bible is based on some kinds of truth because there are ways you can see where it dovetails with uh, actually uh, historical events that can be proved. Um, I mean, not the Garden of Eden and stuff like that. Uh, But We all have stories. And the odds are that probably 50-60% of these mythologies of our families are BS. They're um, prettified. They, uh, you know, ugly things are put away, cover stories are created generations before we even arrive on the scene. Um, The cover stories become the reality. And this DNA stuff (laughs) that people are doing is blowing up uh, family mythologies all over the place. Um, Truly. It's a, it's amazing. Even in my family, and I can't even quite remember this. I remember sharing with you a year or so ago um, that I I got a phone call, one of those phone calls that you know you dream of getting uh, from some person, some attorney, and somewhere in the Southwest, uh, informing me that. I had a relative that I didn't know I had who died without having any, you know, heirs. 
And so they were trying to find people to divvy up who would get her estate. <laughs> and, and I thought, whoa! But I mean, that was a relative, that blew up a, a whole part of my father's family's story. And even when you would, like, you know, tell others in the family. So you know what that means. That means that blah, 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 blah. It wasn't this and that. And um, that story we were told about how he this and that. And, sh- and, and the resistance of people to it. Even if the news story gives them a few thousand dollars coming out of the sky from no place. And by the way, speaking of that, I still haven't gotten a check. I swear to God, I thought they were saying it was coming. This is years now, I think. Whatever. It didn't amount to much. (laughs) But anything, it's found money, right? Jeez. Ellen says, I read the same piece. (laughs) And I had to had difficulty (laughs) following that family tree. I almost tried to draw a diagram. Like, you know, in the novel A Hundred Years of Solitude, but concluded it was not worth it. The woman is a doofus. Yeah, I mean, you know, people, where where did it happen that people lost track of minding their own business? I I mean, where, where did that happen? I don't know. Okay, Barbara sent me a little more on um, Mueller. This will be a statement only, no questions or answer period to follow. Mueller will finally break his silence. That is true. I don't even know what his voice sounds like. Will break his silence on the two-year. What if he? Sp- what if he speaks like this? Wouldn't that be startling? You know, this strong man that we've been told about, this ethical, ethical animal. What if he had the lisp? Um, he'll finally break his silence on the two-year video in Russia. According to the Department of Justice, Mueller is scheduled to make his statement at 11. However, the DOJ also emphasizes that, quote, this will be a statement only. This DOJ, under the loathsome bar, is uh wow loathsome is 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 the word of the uh decade i guess okay so there's that what else i got here um I'm going to venture into this and um, annoy you, okay? I was reading something that I would normally not read. What I, you know, we all have people whose stuff we read, and we have people whose stuff we avoid. And the people whose stuff we avoid, we avoid because we do not in any way agree with their point of view, right? And... I did something this morning, most unlike myself. I decided to read um, a column in the Washington Post written by a conservative commentator. 
and I knew it would enrage me. But I thought, you know, I don't. If you're going to be in a battle with people, and we're in a battle, let's not kid ourselves. It would behoove us, wouldn't it, to understand how our, I don't want to call them enemies, how our, what's a nicer word for enemy, how our, um, how they think, how they're processing and thinking. It's not like they're all insane. They have, like our families have, a mythology that informs how they see the world. We all do. We, it, it's partly made up of our upbringing, um, our life experience, our psychological needs, our kind of, you know, I, I mean, this stuff is really, really complicated. And it is absurd to think that there are not smart and even good human beings that have this totally different view and make compromises like we make compromises. You know, with Bill Clinton and all those women who came forward, where are all the Democratic feminists uh, supporting those women? I'm just asking. Right? I mean, we're all capable of extraordinary self-interested hypocrisy. Not just them, but us. So I decided to read this and, wow, wow. The guy is Hugh Hewitt. You probably have heard the name and or seen him or whatever. And the reason I read it is because he's writing about this thing that we keep hearing about but cannot understand. The hatred, the contempt, not the contempt. We're the ones who are accused of contempt. How people who vote for Trump and who don't vote for the people we like, even if they didn't vote for Trump, see us and perceive how we look at them. And I don't think they're necessarily incorrect either. But to see how they see the world. Anyway, here's Hugh Hewitt, and he starts out by saying, Trump's ace in the hole for 2020 is that us elitists and the elitist media are incapable of hiding their contempt for people who support this president. And that's a whole hunk of people, right? And if, you, if people know you hold them in contempt, the odds are they ain't going to feel too kindly toward you and or feel like listening to you. That is correct, right? I mean, it would be for me. If I feel somebody is looking down their nose at me, I'm not inclined to uh, like them or listen to them. 
And he starts by going after New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd, who uh, apparently... Um, she, here's what he got him all upset. I mean, it was nothing. It was it was nothing. She wrote this, but it gave him a jumping off point to again remind his readers how much they are held in contempt by the media elite and by the university types and by Hollywood, and by liberals, and by the coastal people. And that's, that is how Trump and the Republicans win. This is and has been a very good strategy for them. And what Dowd wrote that allowed him to write his column, reminding his people of who their friends are. She wrote this, Mitch McConnell, Barr, and almost everyone else in the GOP have made themselves numb to Trump's abhorrent actions because of self-interest. Now, I agree with that statement of hers. It's the only way I can understand how anyone would continue to aid and abet this obviously unfit president. They're doing it for their self-interest, um, clearly. Political self-interest, but also their personal self-interest, so they hang on to their power and their jobs. I, I do see that. That's what I see, too. But then Hewitt says, and there you have it, in Dowd's world, and that's including all of us, almost every person who supports Trump does it because of self-interest and read self-interest as greed or a lust for power or position, which I just had done. Dowd's assessment, if, by Dowd's assessment, no one can possibly support Trump without being corrupt. Now he's, that's... But this is how they prime their base and keep them primed, Rem reminding them of our contempt. Then he reminds them of why they should continue to support Trump. They ignore the fact that Trump has delivered on his crucial pledges. And what are the crucial pledges? The judiciary. He did. He did. Look at Roe v. Wade right now. Look at Missouri right now, okay? He did. So if your big thing is abortion, man, and that's a lot of people, you ignore a whole ton of stuff about Donald Trump because he's delivering. He's doing it. The other one, defense spending. And Hewitt counts it down, the horror. Trump has put 100-plus judges on the federal bench, two on the Supreme Court, 41 on federal circuit courts with uh, two more pending, dozens and dozens on federal trial courts. The, the impact of that will be felt long after I'm dead. So... 
You support a candidate because a candidate is going to do things that will result in things that you support. No abortion, uh, pushing back on all this liberal uh, social stuff. If you're a person who by nature is a very conservative or truly believe abortion is the murder of a human being, why wouldn't you support him? Look the other way. Look the other way about his obvious uh, flaws. Then he goes on to talk about the roaring economy, which is a little bit of a mirage. And the tax cuts, which we now know didn't do anything but make the rich richer. And how he's deregulating everything. But that's what these people want. But then he goes on to say, he has to say, Trump's record is far from perfect, of course. He did this, he did that, he did the other thing, he shouldn't tweet so much. Still, there are far more positives than negatives. Despite his biggest mistakes, and he includes in his biggest mistake saying that the media are the enemy of the people. The fact that he hasn't staffed the government. This fact that he has, in fact, staffed the government sometimes with clearly unqualified people. Now, this is coming from Hugh Hewitt. All of these sins of this inept, incompetent president, he acknowledges. But he then says Trump has generally kept the promises he made during the campaign. Nowhere does, by the way, he mention the wall. But then back to the reason for writing the column, the, the, the need to remind his Trump voters why they have to keep supporting him. Dowd calls to mind Hillary Clinton and her basket of deplorables comment. Americans outside of New York City, Los Angeles, Washington, and Silicon Valley deeply resent the contempt these elites have for ordinary people. That is true. And it fires them up. I'm, I have no answers about what we do about it, because if we're honest with ourselves, we do feel contempt, right? So, it ain't helping us. He continues, to be accused, he tells them, of supporting Trump for evil reasons is, of course, to be accused of doing evil. So now he's really ratcheting up. He's saying we think Trump voters are evil, not just stupid and self-interested and greedy, none of which are necessarily true of any particular Trump voter. So they spin this, they're spinning this. We've got to understand that if you're a Republican and a Trump voter and all you, you read is Hugh Hewitt and watch Fox News, that you are constantly being told this narrative that we think 
that they are evil. And he tells them the fact that people like me refuse to acknowledge the legitimate principles that motivate millions of people who voted for Trump is to brand all Trump supporters as being unprincipled. He ends with this, insults and invective are not how you win elections, though they are great at winning applause from other elites. So this is a game plan that has worked. It's how Donald Trump became our president. And we're going to see a rerun. And I would like to know, I, I don't know, I'm not a strategist, I'm not a tactician, um, th this piece is, is entitled The Searing Self-Destructive Disdain of the Left. And there's just enough truth in it. There's, there's truth in it because I do think it's self-destructive. On the other hand, the way, you know, we can turn this around and their picture of people like us is untrue. If their picture of people like us is untrue, but it benefits them to think it, I'm just... I'm not saying, I, what can I do with the contempt I feel? <laughs> they feel enraged by my contempt, and I don't blame them. I'd be too. What are we going to do? I wish I had some answers. I really do. Because... The one thing that we all have in common is we're all living with this ugliness and this even hatred, and it's destroying us. That's the truth. It doesn't matter which side you're on if we all we're all going to go down. The country'll go down. A house divided against itself cannot stand. The boat metaphor. We're in the same boat. Mhm. Mm it goes down, we all go. So it's like this almost lemming-like suicide pact we're involved in as we, as we hate each other and misrepresent each other. And there are so many large forces 
that keep pushing this? From Russian bots to corporate media to political folk with agendas, we're all getting played. We're all getting right back into the way I feel at O'Hare Airport. We're all being herded and controlled. It's bad. We have a call. Caller, go ahead. Hello, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing hey, okay. Uh, Thank you. It, it sums up the one thing, simple math. There's more of us than of them. And we can beat the devil's rejects. Because that's what it's all about. If we get the vote out, people vote, there's more of us, we'll kick their asses, and that'll be the end of the deal. Well, it'll still be screwed up. But at least we'll have a Democrat in there. But if we don't vote and we just... You know, piss around and don't get out there, and we'll lose again. That was the problem last time. We didn't get the vote out. People stayed home. They thought Hillary was going to win. This idiot's in there, and that's what it is. It's just simple math, and it can be done, and I truly still believe it will be done. We just got to vote. Well, can't argue with that. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 Yeah. So a, um, a searing uh, editorial by the Times today about Missouri apparently about to become, well, by Friday. We'll see if they can work something out. I sort of doubt it. Maybe it'll end up in the courts. Man, these Trump-loaded courts are busy, 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 busy these days, huh? So here they... they a question I've been asking ever since I've, ever since, well, I don't know. I don't know when ever since. Ever since for a long, long time, it really congealed in my head when I uh, ended up on the uh, board of uh, Planned Parenthood of Western Pennsylvania. And I said... I remember to the executive director, I don't understand. If abortion <laughs> has been adjudged to be legal in this country, a medical procedure deemed legal, but What good is the right to have an abortion if there's nowhere you can get one? (laughs) And I didn't understand how there's not, why aren't we in court? I never understood. What is Roe v. Wade? Anyway, we're seeing now the result. Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. But the land is made up of 50 states, other legal, constitutional and legal jurisdictions, right? And in a Supreme Court ruling 
Clinton that came out of Pennsylvania because of our governor at the time, Robert Casey, who was a Democrat and a Catholic, like an awful lot of people in Pennsylvania. And he brought a case which is pretty famous. It was in 1992. And the Supreme Court decision in Planned Parenthood versus Casey is the case that opened the door to the whittling away of a woman's right. to control her reproductive self. Because Planned Parenthood v. Casey affirmed Roe v. Wade, but it said that states had some they could, I'm probably not saying this right, they had the right to, you know, impose uh, things, restrictions, but it could not be an undue burden. Those were the two words. They could, they may not impose an undue burden on women who are seeking access to abortion. Since 1992, the definition, what passes for undue burden, (laughs) has come to this. That in the state of Missouri, where millions of women live, in two days' time, there may well be not one place in that state where a woman can have what our national government says is a totally reasonable medical procedure. Here is why I tip my hat to conservatives. I and you know I've not been quiet about that. I tip my hat to these anti abortion people. Unlike our side They stay in the fight. Nothing discouraged. Maybe they get discouraged, but it sure doesn't look like it. They just keep coming. They keep coming. They keep coming. They keep coming. They've been since 70, what, 3 with Roe? They have not let up. They play a long game. And they play a tough game. And they don't... I, and we don't! We do not ever! Oh, we take to the streets sometimes. Oh, we yap, 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 yap sometimes. But once we get something, like Roe v. Wade, we walk away! We don't protect 
what we get. We never protect our gains. And when we gain power, we seem to be apologetic about using it. Ha! Republicans, I give you Mitch McConnell. I guess they don't care about being seen as the power. They got the power, they use it. McConnell's latest where if there's a Supreme Court vacancy, even though there's a presidential election coming up, he's going to pack that court with one more Republican, if he can. Even though, of course, when there was a vacancy when Barack Obama was in his last year, he said that is absolutely, you cannot. You cannot. The people must decide. The next president should have this pick. He doesn't care. He's not apologetic. He doesn't get red in the face. He isn't embarrassed. He doesn't start stumbling around trying to explain. They use power. We apologize about it. Oh, excuse me. I'm really sorry. I don't mean to inconvenience you, but that's us. We ain't ever going to win against that. Not unless we become, I'm afraid, and I hate to say it, every bit as determined and stay, we need to stay in the fight. It's never over. If we haven't figured that out now, you see, it isn't over. We're about to lose it. We thought we'd won it. We put that one away. We're about to lose it. Excuse me. Here in Pennsylvania and in almost every other state where Republicans rule, a woman's access to abortion has been whittled away. As someone who has served on the board at Planned Parenthood, I have been treated to understanding what the state does. They put up hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. You can't imagine the hoops that Planned Parenthood has to jump through just to keep their doors open. Something as silly as a light switch. They will come in. The state inspectors come in and they'll say, I am sorry, that light switch is two inches too close to the door jam. Uh, that, oh boy, that sprinkler... Uh-uh, uh-uh. That and this constant harassment of having to rejigger the interiors to do this, to do th all these states, these Republican states have been doing this, to the point where Planned Parenthoods all over the country have literally fallen. And that doesn't even include the federal government refusing any federal dollars to go, I mean, there have been strict limits put on the use of private insurance, on public insurance to cover abortion. Uh, they don't even allow in a big state, let's say, where, you know, someone, a woman in a rural area who could have an abortion because now there are pills, you know, you can take. But there's no Planned Parenthood. You, we now have, of course, tell you have the ability for a doctor to help a woman who's not 
physically there. Most of these states say, uh uh-uh, that woman's got to be there. Not only does she have to be there, but she's got to be there. And then she's got to listen to a harangue about how awful she is. Then she's got to be tortured to do this, that, and the other thing. Then she has to be told she has to wait 72 hours to think about it. Then, and meanwhile, she's got children 178 miles away who need to be fed and clothed and put to sleep and put to school. She might not even have a husband. She can't get that abortion, no, but she's going to get another child that she can't afford. So... It is almost here, and for a lot of women in this country, abortion is already not even a possibility ever. They don't live anywhere near a clinic. They have no access. Abortion is quickly becoming something only rich women can have. And you see, even when abortion was illegal, rich women could always get one. So this is a law about regulating not only women's behavior, women's bodies, women's lives, It is aimed most specifically at poor women. The New York Times editorial ends thusly. The situation in Missouri is a reminder that anti-abortion forces have already so worn away the right to abortion in America that it's now being held together by threads, just threads, for too many women. The nightmare of a post-Roe America is already here. Because our side folds its tents. I suspect it's what, you know, the makeup, there's certain psychological makeups of who becomes a more sort of empathetic, liberal type person, who becomes a more uh, authoritarian power control kind of a person. Um, you know, some of that might be just, you know, coming out of the womb. We come out in those ways. And could be, uh, you know, how one is raised, the community that we're raised in, the values of that community. Um, But I must say, there might be something about the person who gravitates to uh, that empathic, more liberal stance of caring about others and worrying about uh, things that don't necessarily seemingly have an impact on us and stuff like that. Um, It could be that that very psychological profile also creates sort of wimpy people. Wimps. 
We don't fight tough. We don't fight tough. We just don't. I remember, this is how I've been, this is a mantra I've been repeating for so long. I remember back in the 80s saying this. So, nothing's going to change. I remember back in the 80s saying this, and I remember saying what I decided is, what we need are Rambo liberals. That's what, That was the thing, because Rambo was a big to-do then. We need to be that fierce. And we're not. Oh, no. We don't like to upset people, hurt people's feelings. And, and we don't, we are not comfortable with power. We're not. And the exercise thereof. And it's strange because Republicans really are comfortable with power. And yet they don't really believe in government. We believe in government using the power of government to do good for the, you know, for the community uh, that makes up the nation. And yet we're lousy at exercising that power. Republicans are great at exercising power, but they don't even, all they do is exercise it to take down the government. Unless it's something about controlling women. Then they really like to build that government up. And pretty soon, we'll, yeah, we'll all look like, uh, yeah, handmaidens. Milton writes, Lynn. Milton, it's so cute. You've, you've been listening. I read that so long ago, and now you're, you've been thinking. It's not cute. It's very Miltonish. Uh, Milton writes from Columbus. In his piece, Hewitt has cherry-picked a few of the aspects of the Trump presidency that conservatives find positive to try to rationalize their support for this mountebank. Yeah, of course, but that's what, that's what any opinion writer does do. Right? We all do do that. Hewitt fails to mention... That before you can rejoice in the newly appointed conservative court members, one must accept, or at least be able to overlook, the statement that Mexico is sending us murderers and rapists. Yeah, and they do. Before one can rejoice in the strong economy, one must find, I like heroes who weren't captured. Okay. Yeah, they are. They do. They will. Their their lust for getting the job done allows them. This is the difference. They might even cringe at some of what Trump says. It doesn't matter. They want to order our 
country in a way that they feel comfortable. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And Milton says, conservatives may rejoice in the increased southern border protections, but before those protections can be enacted, they must accept grabbing by the pussy. Hewitt uses present progress toward the conservative agenda to absolve those willing to overlook the most abhorrent behavior to gain power. My point. To any thinking, compassionate person, right or left, Trump's statements and behavior before the 2016 election should have eliminated him from consideration. But that's only if you think like we do, not if you think that if you get this despicable man in, we're going to be able to pack the Supreme Court. We're going to be able to finally take down Roe. We're going to be able to deregulate everything, eviscerate the EPA, the FDA, the you name them, the whole alphabet soup. Oh, screw the pussy remark, the rapists, the murderers. Who cares? Look at the prize. These guys keep their eye on the prize. Excuse me, Martin Luther King. Keep their eyes on their prize and let everything else extraneous drop away. That's the difference. And those of us, Milton says, who recognize this are not the liberal elite looking down our noses at good, honest Americans who see things a little differently than we do. We are people with integrity and scruples for which Trump's pre-election behavior disqualified him from contention because racism, misogyny, xenophobia, greed, and faux patriotism is never acceptable. Well said. But they win. We lose. And I'm out of time. Mueller is now speaking. God help us all. Goodbye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.